Okay. Hi, I'm Dove. Hi, I'm Daniel, and welcome to Post-Exertional Mayonnaise, a podcast about living with ME and chronic illness, creativity, and making meaning. Uh, how, how's things, Dove? Um, things are okay. I'm in Massachusetts in the U.S., and um, it's there are more mosquitoes here than I think have I've ever experienced. So that's been a little, that's been, well, that's been a lot. Yeah. So friend, I, I've made friends with a lot of mosquitoes <laughs> the last few weeks and, but the heat wave has broken for a little while. I think it's going to go back up, but it's nice that it's not quite as hot and it's cooling off a little at night. Am I getting fuzzy? Good, good. I think I might be getting fuzzy. Yeah, we should be all right Ethics. in the end. It should, uh, it should upload all right. So, um, yeah, no, it's, I think it's, it's we've uh, here in Northumberland in the northeast of England. We've just got um, standard English summertime. It's just been it's been warmish, but it's been um, it's been wet quite a lot. So it's just been dull and wet. But um, yeah, hopefully we'll get maybe one nice week or so before the end of summer. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, yeah, we just wanted to say um, thanks for everybody for um, feedback on the episode with uh, Vlad Vexler. It was uh, a really good conversation. And um, if you're new here because you've come via Vlad, then thank you for coming and you're very welcome. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed the discussion. Um, how, did, how did you find it, Dog? Because you watched it afterwards, didn't you? Yeah, I, I loved it. I um, I meant to, I wanted to listen to it a second time um, so I could talk about specific things, but um I love what he said about sort of needing a hard-hitting um, investigative journalism type, um, either, I forget if he said a documentary and or an article that, you know, that really addresses the history of the psychologization of ME. Mm. And, you know, he, I, I, I love sort of the more philosophical, thoughtful stuff, but I also love the, like, the specific um address of sort of specific needs in order for the illness to, to stop being, um, you know, for people to, uh, he, I, he, he used the word unlovely for unlovely people, um, to, to sort of, um, continue to, um, put forth this narrative that people with ME are, have a psychological problem. Um, rather than a serious multi-system disabling, debilitating, um, mm. devastating illness. And, you know, not to, mm. I mean, I think like this is not to in any way um, minimize a, you know, how devastating um, it can be to, you know, to have um, any, you know, mental illness. And it's also, you know, acknowledging that with this illness often comes depression, but, but yeah, but the, you know, I, I really appreciate, um, his, his sort of, and, and it was really interesting to me that he talked about that one of the reasons that people in psychology hold on to this narrative is because they sort of have work that they've done that they feel will sort of no longer be relevant and i hadn't even thought you know i, I mm -hmm. think i sometimes wonder why some of the medical doctors are so so um cruelly ferocious in their um anti-me rhetoric and and mm. um but i i hadn't thought about you know people who sort of have various kinds of either financial or social or um, sort of academic investments in this idea that Emmy was psychological. So that was really fascinating to hear him talk about that. Mm. And, um, you know, it's really fun hearing him talk about music. Um, I love what he said about his, he talked about a certain piece of music, um, which I looked up and, and I meant to, I want to ask him what his, if he um, recommends any specific um, versions of it. Um, for lack of better words. Anyways, I could say a lot, but those are a few things that come to mind about you. Yeah, I I, I really appreciate what he was talking about because um, he's got such a sharp mind and, and I was sort of saying, do you get 
because he does live streams on on YouTube and uh, on on sort of philosophy in Russia or Ukraine, um, and uh, I was I was kind of interested to know kind of if if the brain fog affects that and he's, he's live streaming and things and and it was just good to know that um, that he experiences that as well in in, in terms of having to um, manage that on a on a sort of like moment by moment basis when he's doing that and and um, he almost does sort of pregnant pauses and things and and, and for me that was really fun funny to think actually yeah it looks like he's thinking really deeply but actually sometimes it's he's just trying to think of the word that he's looking for um so yeah, yeah. i could really identify with that um so no it was it was it was good and um we've got quite a few uh, brilliant interviews coming up hopefully as well i've got uh, i've got about four or five in the pipeline um of different people but we'll uh, let you know when they're happening when they come off hopefully um just in case they don't happen <laughs> so um but yeah, no, thank you for everybody for your, your, your sort of kind comments on um, Vlad's uh, episode and also just generally. Um, we've got an email from Jessica in Australia. If you want to email, it's pempodcast23 at gmail and the um, email address will be in the notes as well. Um, but yeah, no, I'll just read a little bit of this from Jessica. Uh, she says, uh, hi, Dov and Dan. My name is Jess. I'm from Perth, a small city in Western Australia. I'm a fellow ME CFSer, and I'm writing to say thank you so much for creating this podcast. It has brought me a lot of joy and comfort and validation. Uh, podcasts are one of my favorite mediums as I use them for my rest time, and it makes resting feel so much more enjoyable and less like a chore. I especially appreciated episode six and really resonated with everything you said. You both are obviously very intelligent and have a way of articulating things in a very thoughtful yet accessible way. I also love how you're showcasing that being chronically ill does not necessarily mean the end of one's creative pursuits. I've always loved art and did a lot of painting before I became unwell. Now I find it too exhausting, but I've recently gotten into earring making and finding this much easier as the task is smaller and can be done in several stages with lots of rest breaks in between. It's so nice to have a way to express my creativity again and to regain a small piece of my identity that is not related to chronic illness. Thank you for sharing your stories and those of others as it gives me hope and inspiration. I look forward to hearing future episodes and appreciate the energy you use to make them. Kind regards, Jess. Uh, thank you, Jessica, for that uh, email. And if you want, um, you can go to our website, pempod.com, and see some of Jessica's uh, earrings. Um, so that's really, really great. Uh, she's got an Instagram link, so you can have a look on there as well. Um we got a brilliant tweet from Stefania as well. She says, um, he usually recommend this amazing podcast for anyone with ME or other chronic illness. It's brilliantly produced and from the heart and so comforting, comforting to know we are not alone in what we experience uh, with chronic illness. So thank you for that and for all the feedback. It's been brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I did uh, a friend of mine on uh, Facebook posted something really funny that I thought I would uh, share as part of our cog fog corner or brain fog corner or cognitive dysfunction corner or whatever you want to call it um, so Hannah, Hannah said she was um, talking to her mum as she checks her skin in the mirror uh, she said I'd be uh, interested to know how these work did I tell you I bought some cyanide tablets and mum had a horrified face and she said niacinamide I'm going to struggle with this now niacinamide niacinamide tablets she said um but yeah it, it's uh, cyanide don't don't try cyanide tablets um yeah it's uh, one of those things we we just get mixed up in our brains don't we that um similar words words that are similar and that's partly why we thought about the post exertional mayonnaise because um it's almost like a brain fog thing isn't it sort of um something sounding similar that we use and then and then our brains go in a completely di different direction. So yeah, um, weird symptoms, weird symptoms. We didn't get any feedback from last time um, uh, from Kirsty's weird symptom. Uh, so if you do go and back and listen, um, yeah, have a have a think if if that's relevant to you. Um, one of the things I was going to mention was uh, I get really bad leaking eyes. I put leaking eyes, watering eyes in the evenings. Um, so if we're watching TV, sometimes it looks like I'm um, completely uh, getting upset at what I'm watching on the TV, but my eyes just start watering, like sometimes like 9, 10 o'clock in the evening. 
and they just like stream and um and it's really frustrating and i'm kind of like sort of getting sort of water out of my eyes all the time so i was just wondering if anybody else had something like that or got that experience i don't necessarily get hay fever or anything and it's not related it's not like seasonal it just kind of happens any time of the year um so yeah do you get you, it often at night like, most evenings yeah most evenings i kind of get it or i'll just be sort of sat sat watching tv or just on my phone or something listening to music and then i'll just my eyes will just start watering um i don't know why it just happens and it's just frustrating so yeah um but yeah it happens most evenings um it's just weird weird symptom so um uh yeah so that's that bit um oh we've got our fake advert now um in which uh i was contractually obliged to use the term nipple tassels so 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 yes that was lots of fun and uh, i'm sure lou lou baker who um has been doing the she's been doing the writing for us for the adverts um for exhaustion enterprises and also um doing the artwork um i'm i'm sure she's basically just trying to give me more and more um awkward things basically to say and to, to to read so so yeah this one is um a special shower washing facility uh so take a listen and we'll be back in a minute need help getting washed wish you could have an attachment to your cabin bed to do the work for you it's finally here. Exhaustion Enterprises are excited to present the Shower Shoot 2000. Put some power in your shower. Our Shower Shoot 2000 combines the thrills of a water park with the cleansing power of a car wash. It's as easy as 123 with the SS2000. Simply attach the ankle cuff, which is attached to an advanced chain pulley system, and hit the big green go button. You don't even have to get undressed. Rely on the violent inertia of the start engine to effortless, effortlessly rip off your night clothes in an upward motion as you are transported down the chute. Once in the chute, you will be massaged, soaped up and scrubbed from head to toe via professional grade rotating car wash brushes. Be prepared to be expelled at the other end clean, massaged and vibrated violently for bonus lymphatic drainage. Once evicted from the chute, attach your complimentary sequined nipple tassels for modesty and make your way to the changing room. Your day is about to begin with zero energy expended. Nipple tassels are available in nipple pink, sexy charcoal and bile yellow. Loft beds sold separately. Note, leg shader, shaver adapter not yet available due to the catastrophic malfunction of the prototype. All test subjects now have been released from hospital. Disclaimer. Customers who purchase the SS2000 must sign a waiver that they can hold their breath for a minimum of 15 minutes underwater. Yes, so get your Shower Sheet 2000 um, if you want to, but you probably won't, so there you go. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we were going to discuss identity um today um and thinking about what is identity how does it how does it impact us um and how does our identity how do, how do we identify with things or how does our identity change um i was just thinking of it as a topic um and i think it's something we've talked about before haven't we dov just like you know kind of random conversations that we've had um and yeah. i was thinking about how from, when you for for me, I had to kind of really um, deconstruct kind of who I was and and deconstruct patriarchy, I suppose, because for me, I was like the main breadwinner in our family. Um, and even though I was like a social worker and I'd done lots of stuff on feminism at university and thinking about um, patriarchal systems within society um, and masculinity, um, I think I, I hadn't it hadn't impacted me really until um, I had to stop working and then um, suddenly lots of hats that you previously wore um, are no longer part of your life so I was no longer um, a social worker I, I didn't have that hat on anymore and I had to think about how that um, 
who I was in the world. And I think when we live with ME, we have to have to try and reestablish who we are or see ourselves differently. And, and, and that comes with a lot of grief and a lot of loss. Um, and I don't think we've got any massive answers to these questions, but it's just, I hope that people can, I think it's something that people can identify with as, 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 as we kind of get diagnosed with ME and, and have to live with the chronic illness and, and having to deal with the loss of what our former identity, identity was. Um, but you wanted to, yeah, you were thinking you about sounds... how, go on. Oh, well, I was just going to say for you, it sounds like a lot of your, um, like that work was a central part of your identity, not just in terms of like, I'm a social worker and that's part of my identity. Um, but sort of your relationship to your family as somebody who works, um, I, I guess mm -hmm. I'd just love to hear more about sort of, um, because for me, I don't think work, like being somebody who works, I guess, was a part of my identity, but I wasn't, like, I wasn't, I guess I was in some ways thought of myself as a teacher, but like, I don't think that I was, had a similar investment, A, because I wasn't, like, I don't have a family that I'm supporting or am part mm. of. Um, so, so I guess for me, work plays a different role in terms of identity. So I'm just curious a bit. I'd love to just hear a little bit more about sort of how not working, um, how getting ME and then very suddenly, like you kind of very suddenly sort of ended mm. this career that like you'd been a social worker since you'd graduated from, you know, that was like your mm -hmm. main career for, for your whole adult life until you got ME. Um, mm. Yeah, I think for me, it was um, I think how life just stops suddenly as well. Like, um, I, I was just aware of like all the things that I needed to do at work, um, and then just suddenly not being at work and not being able to do those things. Um, I, w I wouldn't say social worker was made up my whole identity, and I was like dependent on on that. But you suddenly realise like how um, how you I think you you can start and see how society categorises people. In, into what you do and, and often when you meet somebody new it's one of the first questions that you maybe ask them oh what do you do and then and then when you you suddenly realize well I don't do anything what do I do and and then yeah. you realize actually yeah I'm a I'm a I'm a father and I'm a I'm a husband um and and those are the things that kind of became really central for me not that they weren't central yeah. before because they came before my work obviously but um I think I think I saw uh, that I had to readjust my kind of um, priorities based on the amount of energy that I had, which was like really minimal. So, so it, my life be came became about sort of like feeding my family, or you know, in terms of practically sort of like having food, you know um, providing meals. While um, my wife in increased her work hours and went you know went to work full time, but also um, for me it was about kind of seeing the value in 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 my wife's work and and actually that she's gone on to you know enjoy working full-time and and earning kind of you know money that um to, to help us as a family so um yeah so for me it was sort of you can see all those things around sort of um uh the patriarchy patriarchal systems in society and um but then having to step back from that and look at it actually when it really does impact you in a big way um and and having to sort of deconstruct that and you know you know it's fine for for women to be the main breadwinner and um and i know that in terms of me there's a high percentage of women that, that do have me but then um it means that for, for those women that they're impacted by those patriarchal systems as well because suddenly they they can't be those um sort of members of society that that go out and work and, and, and have a career and have that fulfillment in life that maybe um, that we were all looking for in a way. So, um, but I know you wanted to talk about what, what I don't, what identity really is as well. Weren't you? I think that was something, something you were thinking about. Yeah. Well, I was, th I think like, you know, from, for me, I've, I've like, as somebody who's queer and trans and, and like, I feel like my identity has, in many ways, like at a pretty young age, like 
I think I think I've been thinking about identity since you know I was pretty young because because mm. and, and 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 um and one thing you know like I think being Jewish has sort of been, been one of my primary and, and I'm and think about like why you know like yes I'm Jewish yes I'm queer but why are those things like sort of so central or have they been or had mm. they been such central parts of my identity. And, and I think I'm sort of, sometimes I think it's about um, marginalization and, 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 you know, being part of, you know, in some ways, I think I was kind of forced to, to, to sort of really, um, really foster, sorry, <laughs> I, I'm getting, um, there's not enough light. And then, and then here we go. Sorry about that. I got blurry. Um, I think as a, a young trans mask person in the, you know, the early 1990s, um, I was forced to not forced, but, but I think fostering a queer identity was part of my survival strategy, um, because I wasn't safe in, in other places. And, you know, I think, I think, you know, I think about is, is sort of the way we shape our identity around feeling safe, feeling at home around being forced mm -hmm. into situations where we're almost, this is probably a very bad word to use, but kind of get in, you know, I think, I think this is true for some people more than other kind of ghettoized um, because of our mm -hmm. identities, because, you know, either in a, the sense of like only being safe in certain places or only allowed in certain places and, and sort of, um, uh, I, I really, I feel really uncomfortable about using that word, but it is an interesting, you know, mm, I think like, yeah. um, you know, the, when I think about sort of the history of the word ghetto, as it comes, you know, comes from Jews in Venice in like the 1600s and, and about how Jews weren't allowed to work out, you know, they were like, they were, they were, there were a lot of sort of rules about when they could leave their, the ghetto and, what kind of work they could do and 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 it was a very limiting thing and I, and i think that people like with different sort of you know all of our identities are fluid and and shifting mm. and um and and i think the way we come to and complicated and the way we come to sort of our complicated identities can happen for for so many reasons and and i think for me like a lot of the reasons that I came to really identify with Jewishness and queerness was because of feeling safe in those spaces. And, you know, I think with ME, it's like, I'm not in those spaces anymore. I barely, like, outside mm. of identifying with someone with ME and someone, you know, being disabled, I think I've lost a lot of sense of, of other kinds of ways that I sort of constructed my identity. I don't know. I don't know if I'm saying any of this well, but you know, it's really fascinating no, to no. me um, to, to sort of have an illness that kind of forces me out of all of the social um, structures that have helped me sort of maintain a sense of certain kinds of identity. You know, I identified as somebody who is very physically active identified as somebody who, you know, who was a swimmer, who was a writer, who, who, um, you know, went to synagogue, who, you know, very invested in Jewish community and, and um, yeah. And now it's like, I don't know how to construct my sense of identity outside of like somebody who stares at walls, <laughs> somebody who <laughs> listens to a lot of audiobooks. Um, you know, it's not that I don't still identify as Jewish and queer, but it just, it, it doesn't have the same resonance um, when I no longer feel really connected, socially linked to those kinds of communities and spaces. I feel, mm. I think I feel in many ways much more socially linked to, to people who have ME in, in a lot of ways, or just, you know, socially linked to people based on one-on-one -on -one relationships rather than on a sense of like community. I don't know. Um, I I know I'm not being very articulate, but I'll, for now I'll just leave it there and love to hear any thoughts you have. Yeah, I think, and that's where I think you're right. I think we we shape ourselves um, 
by the the systems that we we move in don't we and and um yeah like uh i think the online community became really important um that we 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 kind of live our lives online almost um or i i certainly do in terms of my friendships um you know there's people that i messaged you know on an almost daily basis or um you know in terms of developing friendships um and then and then and then yeah it's it's how our worlds become smaller and, and like um a couple of years ago we we had a um we, we had a a storm that basically cut our electricity off for about five days and suddenly being without electricity and internet for for five days you realize like how much you become dependent on that for for, for peer support and for um feeling present in the world and, and i guess that's that shows how things have changed over the last like 20 30 years in terms of the internet and and, and accessibility for things that um we we just didn't have access to in the past so um as a chronic illness community we're in a much better position because of the internet things like video you know conferencing and you know yes. being able to make a podcast like this um and i think that's the the, the podcast itself and and um and making this as a platform has been um something that's been really important to me over the last few months because it's given me that, that sort of sense of identity is okay I, I can put i'm a podcast host <laughs> sounds fancy on my you know yeah. on a bio or something like that but it um it, i think when we lose we lose our possibility for work um we have to readdress like how do we um how do we how does that, our perceptions of ourselves change um and and then it's almost a constantly reevaluating that and who we are in our bodies on a day-to-day basis that um is such a challenge in terms of having to process um yeah and and then thinking okay well um first and foremost someone like a, a husband and a dad and and those things kind of come into it but um for those that don't have family networks like that um it becomes really difficult to kind of like have a sense of self doesn't it and, and how do you how do you define yourself and 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 um maybe maybe people with chronic illness and and me we we almost um have to transcend societal perceptions of 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 identity because we 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 don't move within the usual systems within society that that kind of label ourselves so in some ways it, it, it can be quite a freeing thing not to have to live with any labels or not to have to 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 live up to uh, any societal expectations, but at the same time, it's a massive kind of grieving process that we go through that we're not we're not um, living within society and living kind of active lives as part of the world that we kind of inhabit because um, we still do inhabit the world. We, we're still present mm-hmm. here, but when we're, we're we're somehow missing i guess that's the millions missing thing isn't it but but um one of the things i put on on notes is almost having a sense of compassion for ourselves um and and seeing ourselves addressing ourselves because we put so much pressure on ourselves don't we to the limited energy that we have every day to to make something worthwhile with that energy whether that's like washing some clothes or emptying a dishwasher but um and and we have we put pressure on ourselves to kind of live up to some sort of level of um existence that we've achieved something in the day um but i think i think it's so important that we do have compassion for ourselves and 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 having to remind ourselves addressing ourselves as we would address somebody else in our condition because so often we will have compassion for other people but we don't always have compassion for ourselves because we we feel like we've got to we've got to live up to some sort of societal expectation for ourselves and right like there's this idea easy, of value like what 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 is your value mm. in a social context um and i think mm. like one thing that i really appreciate i mean having me is you know it's catastrophic and and it's devastating mm. um and i'm not looking for silver linings here but but you know one thing i do appreciate about having me is that it gives me a place to it's like from which to think about 
cultural values and cultural norms and cultural ideas. And, you know, I think I, I fancied myself somebody who was a very um, careful, critical thinker before I got ME, but I feel like since I've had ME, I'm so outside of, like, I'm outside of, I'm, I'm like, it's like I've traveled to a different planet. And so when I look at um, the way things work mm. um, socially, I feel like I, I have even more um, space to be able to critically think about, um, you know, what do we think it means to have value as a person and, and, and like who, who fancies themselves as sort of being morally superior than who and why, and why are the mm. systems, you know, why are there not more social support systems? I, I think a lot about sort of, you know, as a sick person, a lot of people who don't have a devastating illness feel morally superior to me because they think that they have the answer to health that I fail to have. And so it's like, you know, it's it's really fascinating to sort of really get to see the the machinery of how people think. And and it's not fun and it's not it's you know, it's a lot of times it's it's really sad and it's and it's um there's a lot of cruelty there, but, but I do think that it has offered me a space with which to, to really, um, um, deeply think about, um, social structures, community structures, how people mm. treat each other, how people understand themselves and each other. And, and it's surprising, you know, it's, I think that like I was part of a community before I got ME, I was part of a Jewish community where I felt like pretty deeply valued. Like I, I felt I was a teacher um, of religious school with kids who I'd worked with for several years and who had sort of wanted to work with me until the kids all um, became B'nai Mitzvah, um, like had their bar bought mitzvah, et cetera. And, um, you know, I felt, that I was a very important person in this community to a lot of people. And, and then when I vanished, like I never heard from anyone and, and like, mm. literally it's like they forgot about me in an instant. And, and, you know, I reached out to a few people and never heard back, you know, it's, it's, I think like there were communities that I were, was part of where I thought that I, where people valued me, where it just became very clear that, that I, you know, once I became sick, I was no longer somebody, um, a, mm -hmm. you know, I was no longer had any value to anyone in that community. That's how, that's certainly how it felt. And, mm. you know, it was, it was, I still struggle with it nine years later and I'm still struggling with it, but it's also, you know, it's also something that, that gives me a lot of, um, it, it allows, it really allows me to think, seriously about how I'm sort of valuing and treating other people and, and to sort mm. of understand, um, you know, how much work we need to do to, to sort of, um, do a better job of valuing each other for, for just like being human rather than being workers yeah. or being, you know, it's, 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 yeah. 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 Mm. And that's where, where, I think I just put in our notes seeing ourselves holistically as in as in yeah. seeing ourselves as a, as a whole person um rather than just a person with me and and seeing that actually recognizing that we do have like emotional needs and we have you know um we are we are people in the world as opposed to just a label of a chronically ill person that we're struggling and wrestling with with that with that identity in itself um uh but but I think it's important that we um, we do kind of like recognise that um, that as part of ourselves and part of our our identity and and it's a difficult balance, isn't it? I, one of the things I was thinking about is the the sort of disability label disability label for people with ME and 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 how whether some people see themselves as disabled or some people don't and for me it's a really difficult one because I, I sort of I very much do see myself as disabled. I've got a disabled parking badge, <laughs> but but um, I don't always feel comfortable with that because 
um, at university when we did, you know, so, social work, we, we talked about models of disability and the metal, medical model of disability and the social model and looking at, you know, um, stressing the social model has been really important, especially within the social work sort of profession, because it's about how society can adapt to um, enable disabled people to be part of society. And so often it feels for me that um, I, 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 can't, I can't see myself as that, that because there's nothing that society can do to enable me to be part of it in a, in a very practical way because of post-exertional malaise and, um, uh, you know, because of that significant symptom that we have that actually anything we do do has a massive impact. So we just often yeah, don't do anything. And can I just because... add for me, like sensory stuff, like... Yeah. I, I think for me, one of the things that, that, you know, even if somebody could, could like bring me somewhere and I could use a wheelchair and not be necessarily exerting myself a ton, like it's a, it's hard to sit up at all. And B like this, I don't think there's anywhere in the world that's, that's sensory accessible. And that, so that mm. I think that kind of accessibility is not so much part of, the social model at least not as much as it could be mm. and just yeah not even um and i know many many people with me kind of get out and about in wheelchairs and um mobility scooters and things like that but um for me it's either i can be out and i can walk a little bit which is is rare um or or i just don't have the energy to go out at all so it's a yeah it's it's a difficult one isn't it and and, and then always looking for like um seating and things like that we, like I went with a friend um our family went with a friend's family one of the few things I did last summer um some a friend with me that, that I met on Twitter um came up to Northumberland for a, a holiday and we went to um some gardens where I'd booked a mobi mobility scooter I uh, hadn't used one before and I thought okay this is a, an opportunity um but by the time we got there in the afternoon because they hadn't asked me to specify a time so I thought well that'll be there for the day um got there in the afternoon and, and and actually they just didn't have one and you know it's things like that 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 are huge barriers but that actually um places don't really recognize that actually that's such an you know important need um um for just mobility for for a start so yeah um i think i think the the illness itself um stops us from um gaining access because because of, of and then and then when, when we do take steps to try and um kind of access places they they become inaccessible by uh just a lack of thought really or lack of you know really small things like i read on twitter somebody had was sort of stuck in a station in london because um a lift was broken and they were in a wheelchair like how do you yeah. and, and there was just nobody around to help um, like how how do you address those things because we we live in a society where disability is just not um not really um addressed really it's it's almost like an inconvenience i think um yeah accessibility so yeah, is seems like an afterthought in a lot of ways and and it's not centered and then for people with me it's like even with even if it were centered for a lot of us we still couldn't go anywhere i know for me like people in my life are always like, why don't you do this online? Why don't you do that online? Like at least post COVID there's a bit more stuff that's accessible online. And I think, I think COVID did for a lot of people allow at least for a time. Um, I think there are some people with this illness who were able to um, access spaces more through video. Um, I think mm. a lot of that has gone by the wayside since people don't think there's a pandemic anymore. And, but I know for me, I can't even do stuff on video because it's just, um, it's the sensory stuff is, is not manageable. Mm. It's, it's, it's still, um, it's still a lot of exertion, um, in terms of social, um, you know, in terms of all the sensory processing information processing. Um, yeah. So, so I do, you know, I think in an ideal world, there would be a lot more stuff that's accessible via video um and uh general accessibility would be much more sensor centered um 
but I think for people with ME, it's in a lot of ways, it can be neither here nor there. If, yeah. if um, just getting out of bed is, is not manageable or, yeah. or, you know, sensory like sound. I think one thing that's kind of funny is that I tried to go for a minute to like an ME support group. And even then there was like people, there was somebody who was like driving while doing, you know, there was like, I couldn't even deal with the sensory information mm. like in the me support group anyways mm. um no I, would, I just thought i'd tell a story from um yesterday actually for me yeah. uh about i went to the pharmacy and it was the first time i'd been out in about um oh actually i was out last week um i've picked up a little bit after covid but probably the third time that i've been out and you were significant in about six or eight weeks um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to drive. I'm going to drive to the the pharmacy to pick up my prescription. I managed to park like literally a few yards away from the the door. Got out of my car, and then there's like an old man that's walking down the street with a stick. Um, and we're both kind of like getting towards the door of the pharmacy at about the same time. And I'm thinking, and I hadn't taken my stick actually because I thought, well, it's not. It's like literally a few paces away from the. Um, from the door but then i thought i'd rather get in there first so i'm not kind of standing and waiting around in the pharmacy but i thought i can't i can't do that because it just it would just looked terrible if i if i looked like an able person um kind of like skipping in, in in through the door before before this old fella so i let him go in and thankfully he wasn't he wasn't in there for very long at all he was in quite quickly and there's usually hardly anybody in, in that place because it's quite a rural area um and he was in and out and then i got my but even even that probably like the minute while he was being served, I was like leaning up against a, a counter and just feeling really alien within that environment, like um, just just not. And, and I think that's that's part of the problem is, is that even when we are able to access sort of society um, and just being in a shop like that, um, it just felt it, it just felt like being an alien in a in a in a in a, in a, in a sort of on a foreign like you said sort of you've sort of been transplanted to a different universe um or, or on a different world um and i don't know if it was a fluorescent lighting or what it was but yeah just feeling and then um and then i was i was served really quickly and i got out of there really quickly but um and i was the only person in there after the, the old guy had gone but it, it just felt like to me um yeah like i was probably more disabled than the old fella yeah. in terms of mobility to like how long I could stand, how far I could walk. Yeah. Um, but nobody would know that because I, I didn't even sort of carry my stick on on that occasion. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it, it feels like it, it feels because because it is an invisible is an invisible illness, but it also just feels like we're we're sort of somehow aliens on a different planet somehow. And, and we're here, but we're not here, and it's it's such a difficult thing to to process because because people don't see like I I wouldn't I would have just looked like a normal healthy person walking into the into the chemist. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never go anywhere without my cane because because of how because I have to walk so slow that people look at me like they make assumptions mm. about you know they make people are judgy as fuck. <laughs> And like when people see me trying to walk with me, they think that I'm, you know, that I remember people just like looking at me like I was a, like a societal menace. I don't know if they thought I was mm. drunk or what, but you know, it was like so terrible. But um, was it, I wanted to kind of bring it back a little to to mm. the question of identity, and and I think Dan is. I don't know. Tell me if this is true. I think you're sort of asking if people with me, you know, like. If if people with MID with ME, <laughs> so I'm having a lot <laughs> of ME moments today. That's <laughs> all right. Um, if people with ME understand, you know, if you understand yourselves as, you know, if this if if you if like, dis being disabled sort of feels like a meaningful or or apt. Sorry, I'm not using words great, but part of your identity. I think for me, mm. I definitely identify deeply with disability, but I also see it as like a very big umbrella term um and mm. and so i think i'm more specifically um uh like identify with with you know people with chronic ill you know people with chronic illness type disabilities and people with me but um 
but I don't know how that as an identity, I'm not sure how that works structurally in my life. I couldn't, I couldn't really say because it's, I mean, it definitely allows me access mm -hmm. to people um, who share my life experiences and that's really meaningful and ma and makes me feel connected. Like I love reading things on social media that people write about, you know, about Emmy related stuff, but I, I, I wouldn't know how to quite um, put into words um, what it means to me to, to like have being someone with Emmy be part of my identity. Um, mm -hmm. What do you think? Any thoughts on that, Dan, or any? It, it, it feels, yeah, I think we use so many labels in, in life, don't we? That kind of like we say with this or with that, or yeah, we wear different hats. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I would see myself as a person with ME, um, and probably f I would see myself as that before I would see myself as a, as a disabled person, um, because because like, like I said, the, the sort of disability it's a massive umbrella, and um, I, I am disabled, but that, but it's not society that disables me because of it's the illness itself that prevents me accessing society because there's very little that that could be done by society to to enable me to access it um in that sense yeah um yeah sorry um, i'm my <laughs> i i keep going blurry because my i i guess i need more light but i can't really deal with more light um and then i keep trying yeah, to I've get it anyway what no, I've, I've got two big lights shining at me and then I think, oh, I should switch them off, but it helps people see. So, Yeah. Um, yeah. I like having yeah. very low light, but then I get blurry and then I have to put light on me to make it unblurry again, which I feel like is probably distracting and annoying. But um, yeah, I don't, maybe I need a better camera. I don't know. But anyways, yeah. So, so I think it's, I think the, you know, we always, I think when we're doing these podcasts, we're always really interested in, in you know what you what your experiences are and how you think about all these things so we're you know we'd be really interested mm. in in hearing from you about you know what it means to you you know like i think identity the question of identity is a philosophical one that that is you know unanswerable and and everybody mm. sort of has a different relationship to what it means to like have you know, a multiplicity of intersecting identities, but, but I wonder, you know, I wonder how people with ME sort of, um, find that, that influences or affects their sense of identity. Um, and what that means, you know, what that means to you, I, I would be really interested in hearing about that. I think Dan, when you, you know, when you talk about going, you know, it's, it's just so wild. Um, yeah. To think that, that like, we're living in such a different world that like the amount of time it takes for you to allow somebody who like is visibly, you know, like is older than you and uses a stick and, and um, like goes into a store and, and sort of the optics of that are, are like, you're a young guy who quote looks healthy, mm. you know, who's like, it would look so rude for you to sort of, go in front but but the reality is is that um you know i it makes me think of like when i used to live on before i moved to where i live now i lived on a street and there were often people in their 70s and 80s like riding their bikes by like whooshing by on their bikes mm. doing their exercise and and you know i just would a i would feel you know i think sometimes i have some bitterness around um, you know, not being able to do anything, but I, I would just think of, it was also a little funny to think that there are these people who are in their seventies and eighties and nineties who are, have a lot more capacities than, than mm. I do. And, you know, I think we all have, I, I think, um, not that I love thinking about what it means to be a human in terms of like capacities, but it's just kind of, you know, the irony of, of having an illness where people don't really, mm. um, want to acknowledge the, the seriousness of it. And then, you know, and that's part of why I think for me, it's, it's so important. It's such an important part of my identity in the sense that, that like, 
I get so little sort of understanding from people who don't have ME that it's it makes it even more important to sort of have this community of people who do have ME. Um, I completely lost my train of thought. But, um, no, it's fine. I think, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think we're sort of. Um, it would be good to hear sort of people's thoughts on how they how they kind of view themselves and how they've adapted to life with ME and and having to yeah. to grieve past forms of identity and and then and then I think it's even harder for maybe people that have been ill since they've been young. Um, to that they've never shaped an identity within the world uh, in themselves yeah. because they've never been able to and I, and I I've got so much empathy for for the, for those people that have, have have been ill for so long um and 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 not been out there so there's the kind of two two sides isn't there there's, there's people with me that have kind of almost like grown up living with the illness and 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 then there's those of us that have kind of had um life opportunities and then having lost them and um yeah it's so hard it might be a good time to read this poem by maya um yep before you do that just one thing because i think this ties back really nicely into kind of a lot of what we're doing here which is um thinking about like what kind of for those of us who have the capacities and the desire to do creative work i think for a lot of us that is a lot of how it's so meaningful because and 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 part of that is because it's there is so little that we have access to to create meaning in our lives and and so i think mm. like even if you know for me doing this podcast is feels like a really meaningful um thing and whenever i'm able to write it feels so meaningful and and like taking photographs feels so meaningful and and you know, I, I I think like creativity or or like creative pursuits um, can really be such a um, such an important part of of uh, can be so important for Expressing. those of us. Yeah, you go. Do you want to try and finish yeah, my no, thought here? Yeah, no, just expressing ourselves in in terms of having some sort of expression and, and I think music and poetry and, and things like that art even like uh, uh, the beginning we talked about Jessica's earring making just things like that actually the the creating something to 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 mark a, a, a stamp on the world and um and I think hopefully next week I'm going to speak to Sarah uh, Boothby and her daughter Maeve um died in 2021 and um from ME and before uh, Maeve died she wrote a novel and um, I'm so excited to learn a bit more about uh, Maeve's writing and 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 something that she's uh, left for the world. And um, you know, it must have been such a um, hard process for her to go through to to write while um, kind of kind of declining in health and energy levels. But she was so determined that this is something that she wanted to. To, to write and um i think there's something in all of us with me that we want to we want something to to show for ourselves whether that's a piece of poetry or or just um a piece of music or a, a blog like there's so many people that blog the experiences because um because we want to feel some sort of meaning in the world and and some sort of um presence in the world um and i think that for me it was like when i first got ill um, often on social media, like Facebook's not a great place necessarily for, unless you're in a group, because um, people don't know how to respond to you writing about Emmy um, in in that forum. So, like for me, I was like blogging an awful lot, and people were picking up and reading my blogs because it was like, um, just just hear me, hear what I'm going through. Like somebody needs to listen to this. That it's like it's so frustrating, and and um, that's why I was going to um, read this poem by Maya whose poem was featured on poets.org uh, as, a, as a poem of the day uh, a week or two ago. And um, and I think she's writing about uh, the need for stability living with chronic illness and, and, and not having uh, stability and feeling not present in the world. And, and um, 
it's a beautiful piece she's from finland um and you can go and listen to her reading as well on on poets.org and i'll put a link as well um but i'll read this one then we've got another poem to come um but uh see so I, I don't know if you've read this one i don't know if i sent it to you Dolph, but um this is called ship dot uh, stroke plum uh the ears lie but claim the eyes lie or perhaps the body either way the world is a ship i call it vestibular unease as i glance smartly over my glasses motion sick in my stationary body the fancy word just means i live on a yellow submarine not quite as glamorous as it sounds you should be able to sink your heels pleasurably into the floor enjoy the solidity of the world reality is not supposed to have give like an overripe plum i prefer wooden floors to marble but even plastic laminate is okay it keeps you upright and springy i refuse to live on a plum stroke on a ship stroke plum i have no navigatory skills and i don't want to be the stone inside gooey fruit flesh straight horizons should be mandated by law don't make the world turn wrinkly like my fingers after bathing I crave stability, but refuse to be the stone. Yeah, mm. it's um. Th there's so much in there. Um, so yeah, thank you, Maya, for allowing us to read it on the podcast as well. But um, we crave stability, but our world changes every day, and and Maya, um, uh, it changes, but it's the same every day. Sometimes, isn't it? When we we kind of like. It feels like Groundhog Day every day, but but because of the symptoms that come and go, we're kind of living with a different type of ME every day as well. Um, and if you go on, um, I'll put the link, Maya, also on the bit where she reads, she uh, says a little bit about her chronic illness and living with that and what the poem means to her. Um, so yeah, thank you, Maya, for allowing us to share that. Did you um, want to, was there yeah, one more so, poem you wanted to read? Yeah, I'm going to play that. We've got a video with it, um, with the, with the words that, um, are going to show up. So we'll play that. And then I've got another, another piece that, um, Rami, uh, uh, who's on Twitter, he, uh, plays some beautiful pieces and sort of shows clips of him playing that, um, despite struggling with ME, um, sort of playing some beautiful, um, uh, classical pieces so I'll, I'll play we'll, we'll play Lizzie's poem and then um, we'll finish with uh, a piano piece by Rami but um, was there anything else that you want to say Dov before we finish um, well one thing that we were going to talk about a bit was the the idea of the the like illness warrior or the chronic illness warrior and I think we should save oh, that yeah. for another time um, and mm. and because I think um yeah, what do you think? Should we save that for another time? I'll just say in short form that that it is definitely not something that I identify with at all, even though I identify deeply with with that the fact that like, you know, being chronically ill can really feel like a, a daily battle. But but I also I think that as far as like an identity and and it, it seems like an interesting identity term that a lot of people that that resonates with a lot of people and and mm. um it doesn't resonate with me and and i think part of that is because like i don't want to think of myself as as fighting i want to think of myself as living i'm just i'm somebody who's mm. living and i and i'm living with illness and um but i think we could also have a much a much longer discussion about that um but it was on our yeah. list, so I just thought I'd bring it up before. Yeah, we no, no, it's uh, it, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because um, I think some some people do kind of like take that label as a as a chronic illness warrior, and um, I, I I struggle with that one as well because it feels um, that you can't really fight this illness, um, and I think the the narrative of fighting illnesses is hard when the illness. Um, you're never going to win <laughs> um, when you know um, it, 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 it's like um, yeah like like the poem I refuse to live on a ship it's like we, yeah. we, 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 we do live on ships and we don't want to and, and um, uh, we're sort of tossed around and, and so yeah we're, we're sort of like 
we can I think we can fight it in a way um, because we can be determined that you know we we don't want to live with this illness and, and it's not um, there's a fine balance isn't there between acceptance and and battling and, and sometimes I I've written songs with this sort of battle narrative um, but at other times I've written things about surrendering to it because um, and I think that very, it very much depends on where we're feeling, where we're at and where, how we're feeling about about how our relationship with the illness is um, because sometimes right. we just but have to I give into like, it. I think to me there's this moral, I guess to me there's a, this moral um, pressure from coming from the outside that if you're not fighting your illness that you're somehow morally yeah. um, less oh, than and, and I think that yeah, yeah, yeah. as someone with you know, I think that my the only reason I have any quality of life is because because I've I'm not using the little bit of spoons I have to to fight. I'm I'm using the little spoons I little bit of spoons I have to create some kind of quality of life for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. And it's how much it's it's how much we invest in that. Um, yeah, and how much we kind of like. Um, yeah, and I think there's a difference between like being an ME activist and somebody who's like a you know see himself as a warrior because warrior being a warrior is is somebody who it's almost saying it's almost saying you can you can you can achieve you can you can overcome and actually um, that's very different from being an activist that's trying to raise awareness for things um, right within government. Yeah, and I guess I don't always know um, when people say they're an illness warrior if they mean they're like fighting for their right to exist in the world with illness or are they yeah. do they feel like their value comes from fighting against the illness itself and i don't think anybody's value should come from their capacity to fight an illness like no. um you are not better yeah, and that's than someone else if you are able to like fight an illness and you know I, it's like i i want to value everyone on on who's you know doing their best to, to live with illness in a world that doesn't support us. Um, mm. I just want to value people yeah. for just existing and, and like, you know, you have value because you are you, not because you are fighting. Yeah. And, and yeah. 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 And that's the, that's the kind of like, um, that's the line, isn't it? It's the diff that's the very much the difference in terms of like, yeah, we're, we're, we're first and foremost like people that have value in ourselves and 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 i think that's so important to recognize and and um you know for everybody listening it, it's like yeah i think it's so important that we have a, have compassion for ourselves and compassion um yeah see ourselves how how we would see others with with the condition and 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 live live in that way um and to to look after ourselves as best we can within the scope of the illness so um yeah thanks for listening um and we've got a poem behind clouds by lizzie horn and then a beautiful piano piece by rami just to finish and then hopefully uh speak to you next time yeah feel please let us know if you have any strange is it weird or straight <laughs> i always forget if it's a weird <laughs> weird or strange let us know if there's you have strange symptoms that you want us to ask people about like we we like every week to do this this um you know where we read off symptoms that people have where they feel like they've not met other people with the symptoms because it can be helpful to know if if other people have similar symptoms um there's also a bit about that on our website um and then also if you have any um cog fog cog fog <laughs> um stories you want to share dan often finds them on twitter but you know um funny things that happen yeah. from brain fog um yeah and uh if you want us uh any poems you want us to read um i've got i've still got kind of like a bit of a a, a number of different poems um that we've got uh, lined up but um yeah thanks for all your submissions and if you want to email us do that as well so thanks for your time and we'll speak to you soon yes thanks bye Bye. There is a stifled sadness today. Right through my core, it takes my breath away. I wonder if I can take much more.
Because my world has shrunken, four walls and a floor, 14 years and counting, the future unsure. I remember how it was to feel well, a glorious and distant memory, the time before hell, the time where I was free, not a broken shell, able to just be me. And I'm clawing at the future, trying not to lose my grip, with no treatment or sign of a cure, trying not to let my mask slip, to not feel broken by this, wondering how much more can I endure. They say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, but all I want is life. I have to keep going for how much longer? None of this is right. They say it's a real battle, but how much longer do I have to fight? We adapted, readjusted, and made the best. But even the pared down life results in need for months of rest. How much more do I have to hand over until I become lesser, lesser, less?